Hey guys, welcome to the shit show of my 20s. I'm so excited that you guys are here. My name's Sophia. I started this podcast in the beginning of April and I got furloughed at the end of March. And quite honestly, it was so hard for me to comprehend and deal with that. I was like, I have two choices right now. I can start the podcast that I've always wanted to start or I can let this really deter me and start emotional eating and just sit on the couch and do nothing. And I decided to go with the first choice. And I'm so glad that I did because I've got to meet so many inspiring people from all over the world. And I hope that you guys see yourselves in some of these stories because I've just been having so much fun. This has been lighting me up so much. And I'm really glad that I put myself out there and decided to start it. You know, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to start it. And I'm so glad that I just did that. And I know as an introvert, it's been pretty hard to like put myself out there, talk in front of a camera, talk to all these people I don't know. But I feel like this has been such a growing experience for me. And I feel like I need to share that with you guys because maybe there's something in your life that excites you but kind of scares you at the same time. And maybe it's time to step into that. Today's guest is Ben. I love chatting with him. We talk about what inspired him to get into the coaching industry, how to stand out as a new coach, how to set your prices, tips for having a long distance relationship. We get to hear the story between him and his partner and how they met and the rituals they have that they do together to strengthen their relationship. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear this one. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Ben, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. Love to know some backstory about you. How did you get into the career path you have today? Tell me about your backstory. Sure. Uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, cool. Well, since, since doing these podcasts, I've, I, I think a fun way to start is sort of my entrepreneurship journey. So when I was younger, uh, we have these things in the UK called Freddo's. I'm not sure if you have them in the States, but they're these like little chocolate bars, right? They're like 10 piece of 10 cent. And I remember I started selling them at school. I was like in my early teens and I would buy a box for four pounds, start selling them on for eight. And I remember one of the teachers opened my locker and all these 10 Bs and 20 Ps fell out. And unfortunately they closed down the business then and there. But uh, it, was, uh, it was certainly a start to, uh, to, to the journey. When, when I look into uh, the sort of defining moments uh, on that journey for me, my parents got divorced when I was uh, around 15. And I think that forced me to grow up quite a lot and to start becoming incredibly responsible for what I was doing. And I think that most people who have experienced that, and it's incredibly common, I mean, I think over 50% of parents get divorced. It really uh, helped me to just grow up quite quickly as the eldest in my family. And then I went on to do economics and Mandarin at university, which, uh, which was a, a ton of fun. Doing Chinese was a little bit different than, than what I was used to. And uh, as I was there, I started to build up my first business, which was like a sports bag business. I was doing import and export around uh, the UK, selling at different universities. And then I started running that after university as well. And then I moved into another project, which was something called One Pink Elephant. And it was a virtual reality platform to help people memorize, which is really, really fascinating. And we ended up coming, I think it was third in a European competition. I expanded the team. We were out in Silicon Valley raising different funds. And then I ended up losing my father to suicide. 
and that was just the the biggest uh, life changing thing that, that I've experienced in my entire life. Where suddenly I started to question everything uh, that I was doing. So I realized that the focus that I had previously on the business was to be successful, so that I could I inspire other people. And I think that very often for those listening, it's it's easy to want to do this prerequisite before we get what we really want. And for me, it was this success and then I could really help and inspire others. So this took me on a journey where, like I said, I quit my business and I started to figure out, you know, what is it that really matters to people in life and why do we do what we do? So as I start to move forward and I start to have a look into all these things, I, I go to China, I go to LA, I, I'm in the UK, I, I've attended you know, hundreds of events, like, that demolishing books for fun, uh, just to really understand, number one, what happened to my dad, and, and also, what is it that, that humans really crave in life? So as I started on that journey, uh, I, I got into the coaching field, started taking on clients from all sorts of things, from relationships, the life coaching, to health. I think one of my first clients was on productivity, so lots of different areas as I started to gain skills in a variety of different areas. And then as it snowboarded from there, I started to do more things in China. I started to expand my team, help more people. And then I started to niche down in really helping entrepreneurs and, and coaches. So for entrepreneurs, it's helping them be more efficient uh, in their business, boosting business revenue, and also living a great lifestyle. And then since then, I've, I've worked with big companies such as Coca-Cola, Musk, uh, helped their senior leadership teams. And then recently in December, just before everything locked down, I, I did a keynote for HSBC, which is pretty cool. And then uh, about uh, three or four years ago, I had a guy come up to me and he said, yeah, Ben, can you teach me what you do? I think it's amazing, like speaking, the coaching, the online stuff. That's wicked. Can you teach me that? And I said, no. Do you have any idea how long it would take you to teach you all of this stuff? Right. And we were joking about it. We were having fun. And about three months later, I, I, I said I could help him, but it would take about a year because I wanted to make sure that he wasn't just a, a good coach, but he was genuinely outstanding in what he did. Because nowadays, there's so many different people that say they're a coach, they say they're a speaker, but how many are actually outstanding at what they do and create those raving fans? So I created my first certification. And then since then, I've had people from you know, all over the world do it to really enhance their skills uh, from coaching and speaking to really have a, a bigger impact uh, in the world. And this pretty much leads us today in lockdown where I'm running both businesses, <laughs> having fun uh, networking online and changing from uh, in-person events, to doing a ton of podcasts. And if you can go back to when your dad committed suicide, was there any warning signs? Did you know it was going to happen? And how were you able to get through that? How, what's something that helped you with that? Sure. So for me, I had absolutely no idea. And I think it's easy to look for uh, pieces or to try and connect the dots afterwards. But for me, yeah, my, my dad hugged me twice. That's pretty much it. And you know, it, it's so easy to think, oh, yeah, that could have been a sign of suicide. But it, yeah, really, when it comes to those things, you can never know. And I think that especially as um, my dad was an entrepreneur, and I think men especially are very good at living in these parallel worlds, one which people see and one which people don't. And for me, I, I genuinely had absolutely no idea. And you know, I've been fortunate in that I've, I've saved people that have been suicidal. I've had a variety of different suicidal client, clients as well. And usually the, the combinations that cause people to feel suicidal are, are pretty much relationships and finances, which uh, is obviously challenging, especially nowadays, where we're in a situation where a lot of people are struggling. There's a lot more uncertainty, which causes a lot of people to perhaps move on a, on a downward spiral. 
So with regards to dealing uh, with that, one of, the, one of the main things that I did was focusing on other people. And the strategy I had was to be there for others. And that made me kind of harden up and, and turn into a bit of a rock. Like I wouldn't really share as much, but I would be there uh, for others. It was kind of a defense strategy to deal with it at the time. And then one of the things that I found incredibly useful was journaling and just sharing everything that I was experiencing, all the different emotions. And I think that was probably one of the best techniques that I did to really help me process everything. Because I think people, I mean, there's a variety of different standpoints when it comes to grief. People say there's different stages of grief, the five stages of grief, you go through them, you sometimes don't go through them. And it's incredibly confusing when you're entering a, a sort of life stage which you've never been through before, especially so suddenly. So uh, it was certainly a challenging time, but being able to have and lean on friends around me, as well as the journaling, I think really helped me through. And to someone who's going through their downward spiral right now, if you could give one piece of advice, what would it be? I think that the, the hardest thing to do when you're going down a, a downward spiral is to reach out and lean on other people. I, I see a lot of people and I've worked with people that seem to isolate themselves. They lock themselves off from the world and they tend to go on this downward spiral. Well, one of the best things to do is to get around if you can, right? I know there's a lot of lockdowns at the moment, but if you can spend time with people that bring you up and to gain that different perspectives, it helps move you out of the situation you're in. Because very often there's this uh, story that we tend to play in our heads over and over again, which causes us to go down. If you can have someone that helps interrupt it or reach out and work with someone who's got some skills to be able to perhaps help you see through that, it's incredibly effective so that you don't spend weeks, months, or even years in a really dark place. And what's one of the things that you took away from your dad? One of the things you learned from him? Sure. I think that one of the most important is lessons for me is about being ridiculous. Like my dad was absolutely uh, a ridiculous man. I remember we were having dinner one night. Uh, in, we were in the Caribbean. We were in Windjammer Landing. And he climbs up the side of the restaurant on a ladder with like a pirate hat. Like jumps over the edge. It was just, just hilarious. And I think that it's often the really small things that matter most uh, in life. And it's so easy for us to forget that, whether it's a smile, whether it's a gift, whether it's sending that personal note that actually means something to someone, it actually makes a, a real difference. And I think nowadays people have lost that touch of just those small interactions, which really mean the most. And when you started your first business, did you have any mentors? Did you have any people you looked up to, helped you start the business? Did you just know it intuitively? Sure. Well, when I think of the, the, the first proper business that, that I had at university, that I, I was leaning on uh, different entrepreneurs. I was reading a ton of different books. I looked into mentors. I thought, you know, Richard Branson, I, I think what he's doing is, is, is phenomenal. And obviously he's, uh, I was comparing my square zero to his square about 1,050. But I, I think it's important to just be able to see that perspective from, from different people. And I think that having mentors to help you on your journey is very helpful too. Uh, a technique that I did uh, when I couldn't really afford coaching and just got started was something called a weekly evaluation. And this is where I'd ask myself a series of questions on a weekly basis to see what, what I could improve and to have those specific questions just to keep reminding myself of it. So, you know, what progress have you made on the business this week and how could you improve next week? It's small things, but it's actually that uh, inward coaching that allows you to constantly remind yourself what you're doing and then making those minor adjustments to really help you move forward. And did you have any blocks around starting your first business? Like what if it fails, what if no one likes it? 
Yeah, I think that everyone who starts a business will always have these blocks that our mind comes up with, whether it's self-doubt, whether it's feeling unsure. And I think that ultimately for myself, having some key beliefs such as, yeah, I can do anything I set my mind to, having beliefs of, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Not much. And I think being able just to really take action and not sit in the worry uh, really helped me through and create that snowball to help me move things forward. And working now, you work with these huge companies. How did you get to that point? And how do you like reach out to these companies? Sure. So for me, a lot of the companies that I've worked with have been out in China and it's through connections. So China is very different from other parts of the world. And for me, I've been in and out of there for almost a decade. And being able to build up that network of people that you know, suddenly if there's opportunities, people will give them to you because they, they actually know what you do and what you represent. And that's why consistency is so important. And for me, it's not like I've gone an outreach to these different people. It's just because they've seen me you know, do a TED talk in Chinese. They've seen me speak on different stages. Like I've, I've trained um, TED speakers for, for a number of years out in China. So having those key connections is really what I think is most important. Because It's not just about these quick fixes. It's about building a long-term relationship with people over time. And then you can see how you can add value to them at different points on their journey. And then you get the opportunities as a result. And for someone who's maybe wanting to start a business, but they keep on procrastinating, what advice would you give them? Sure. Well, I, I think the, the most important thing is, is, is to obviously do it, but it, it, it really reminds me of this story. And that is that I want you to imagine that everyone in life is on a boat. And they're on a boat circling this island and everyone's looking for a diamond. And they've got these huge telescopes and they're looking and they're waiting to see this diamond on the island. So as they circle around, they see the crashing waves, they see the palm trees, they see the sand and everyone's searching, you know, where is this diamond? And there's literally hundreds of boats all going around and everyone's waiting to see the perfect diamond. Because when you see the perfect diamond, then you'll jump off and then you'll swim and you'll obviously go get it. Yet what happens is these boats just keep circling round and round and round and the, the challenge is that nothing ever happens until one day someone decided to jump off the boat, swim to the island, and they started searching. They started to find rubies, emeralds, diamonds, like all these different things that they would have never seen when they're on the boat. Now, the reason why I share that is I see a lot of people nowadays who are waiting for the perfect opportunity. They're waiting for this perfect thing as opposed to taking a step in the right direction and seeing what happens. And for those who are procrastinating on creating a business, the important thing is to just take a step in the right direction and to get the snowball moving so that you can start to get feedback and see if this is actually a, a right fit for you. And what do you think about the coaching industry? Do you think it's saturated? Do you think there's still space for new coaches? <laughs> I think the coaching industry is incredibly saturated by a ton of people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing. I also think there's loads of room for people who are actually genuinely incredible at coaching and, and are there for the good reason. The challenge is, now I tell people this uh, a lot of the time, how do you differentiate yourself when everything seems so similar? And I think that's the challenge that you have. How, how do you really come across in an authentic way where you can actually deliver a result for someone and not fall into this marketing of, you know, I can help you triple your business in a month. Like, yeah, I've made multi-millions teaching this. And, and I think that it's, it's incredibly important to find those connections and to build depth, not width. So one of the things for, for, for my coaches that I speak about, it's not about having thousands and thousands of followers. It's not about you know, creating the huge impact so that then you can suddenly get a coaching you want to start small and really go deep with a few people and actually build that relationship and then see how you can support them. 
And by doing that, you know, I, I've had coaches that have done phenomenally well in a very short period of time. And if you think of where the world's moving, I think we need more coaching than ever. But the truth is, when I think of it being a saturated market, like how many coaching clients do you really need to have a great life? Not many, but you really don't, depending on what you charge and how you do things. It's just about figuring out what's best for you and building that up through time. It's like any business, but you've got to have the skills and have that foundation so that you know you can really help someone at an incredibly high level. Because when you create an amazing result for someone, like someone... I know, 10x is their business, like a guy did with me last year, or, or they suddenly lose you know, 30 pounds in a few months, or, or they're doing these things that are incredibly impressive to them. Like they love that. They're transforming themselves. Suddenly, like you don't even need to market because you're getting referrals. People are connecting you. And, and that's one of the best things you can do is, is creating those outstanding results. And for someone looking to get into the coaching industry, what platforms do you recommend using? Do you recommend running ads? Where do you recommend starting? Sure. Do not run ads. Do not attempt to build loads of websites. Don't do everything that most people tell you online because they're idiots. <laughs> and, and let me explain, right? And I, I, I tell this to my coaches all the time, right? They say, oh, Ben, I need to run ads. I need to do this. I've spent thousands of pounds on ads. And, and trust me, I've done a lot of coaching in my life, right? Ads, it just doesn't have the same effect unless you're willing to spend a lot of money and a lot of time actually laying that foundation. But the challenge is the algorithms constantly change. And especially nowadays, there's a floods of ads to the market, right? So it's a very, very different strategy. So when you start in coaching, you need to differentiate between a few things. The first thing is the skills that you need, right? What are the skills that you need to actually do what you need to do, right? And then the second thing is about marketing and how do you actually market yourself and actually get known out there? So skills-wise, the things that I recommend, and I have coaches approach me, they say, yeah, Ben, can I do a program? I'm like, before you do it, go check out a few others because you want to make sure it's a good fit. And I really think that's important. You want to look around, see what programs are out there. Because for me, I saw the ICF coach certification. Don't like that personally. I think that the way they do, the style of coaching is, is the sort of, so, uh, so, like the style such as like Socrates in that they just ask questions. And there's no leading and that's the way in which they look at it. But for me, I don't really think that's effective coaching. Uh, I remember being in a session with someone and like, you could clearly see her block. And he was, and she was saying, so what do you think? And he was like, well, what do you think I would tell you if I said, and I'm just like, just tell her like it, you, you've got to be able to have that balance. And I think that for me, I think there's certain elements of coaching organizations that like that, that really create the impact. So I certainly think, Going around, finding organizations, finding people, learning from people in a direct way, not just from a trainer. Because very often I see people have a certification like, okay, they learned from Bob Proctor. Did they learn from Bob Proctor? No. They learned from a trainer who got trained by a trainer who could learn by a trainer. And it's so diluted. They have no idea what they're doing, right? I, I've had a coach who's come to me in his, in his 60s who's incredibly wealthy in real estate, comes to me and he genuinely doesn't know exactly what he's doing, even though he spent you know, tens of thousands of pounds on all these courses. So you've got to find what's right for you. And the next thing is marketing. So when it comes to marketing, there's, there's a few steps that I take people through that I think is important. The first thing is I say, go get some mentees. Work with people for free so that you gain an understanding of the style of coaching you like, right? It's kind of the example of, 
if you've never played a game of football, and I'm sure in the States you guys are going to think of football as American football, I'm referring to it as soccer, right? Let's, let's do soccer, football. Uh, if you've never played it right, you wouldn't know what position is your favorite, right? Are you goalkeeper? Are you right wing, left wing? I, I don't know. And you hear so many people saying you've got a niche. I didn't niche for years. I'm absolutely fine. I've got a six-figure business not niche, right? And, and I'm not saying that to say not to niche. I'm saying that to say you've got to build up and become aware of what you enjoy before spending you know, thousands of hours attempting to build all these products around a specific niche if it's not exactly what you really enjoy. You need that experience first. So working with mentees is good. Saying, yeah, I work with people and I help people with this is important. Like you do need to differentiate yourself, especially online. But being able to, to do that and then finding the right mentor or business coach to actually help you with that, who actually knows what they're doing. I think it's really important so that you don't make a ton of mistakes. Because if you're attempting to do a lots of little strategies, it doesn't really work. It's kind of like um, when you, when you say the question, you know, what, what platform should you choose? What ads do you use? For me, I see those as tactics. Okay. It's kind of like uh, if we're to play a musical instrument, if you're to play the piano, you can learn an amazing song, but that doesn't make you a great musician. And I see a lot of coaches who are attempting to learn a song, the Facebook ad song, the Google ad song, right? And they're attempting to do a tactic without understanding the underlying strategy. So they do it, but it, they don't have the foundation for it to actually work and know how to tweak it accordingly if things don't work out. So that's why having that underlying strategy, like being able to lay that foundation, I think is important because the truth is most coaches aren't business owners. They are people that have a big heart, they're givers, they, they want to give back, but they don't really know about business. And I remember making a ton of mistakes to begin with because I really didn't know what I was doing from a business standpoint, even though my heart was in the right place. So those would be the two main things I'd focus on. So gaining the skills and then looking into how do you market effectively so that you can bring in clients and ultimately build those deep connections as opposed to uh, surface level connections with uh, people that really matter. And can we go into some of the mistakes that you made? Yeah, sure. Let's go into all of them. Oh, exciting. <laughs> so I remember the, the first client I took on, I think was 25 pounds an hour for productivity or something like that, right? I really just had no idea what am I doing. And then I think I did 60 pound okay. an hour. Go on, please. What is that in the US? <laughs> oh, yeah, chatting USD for you. It was actually like $35 an hour. Okay. And then I took on another person for like $80 an hour doing public speaking. And I was like, wow, this is, this is a wicked business. And then I remember being in China many, many years ago and thinking, oh, I've got no clients. Things are dwindling down. I'm running these free events. Some people are attending. They don't even speak English. Like, what is going on? What am I going to do? And I remember having a, a lady come up to me and she says, Ben, we're looking um, to get some help with our relationship. Do you know anyone that could help us? And I said, yeah, I know a great relationship coach. And I recommended her. And they said, no, 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 we actually want to work with you. And I said, oh, uh, okay, cool. Let's chat on Thursday, right? In my head, I'm like, what on earth do I charge? How do I do this? I've never done this before. And, and as, as a coach starting out, the truth is you figure it out as you go along, right? And I think, okay, I, I know what I'm going to charge. It was about, you know, let's say dollars, like $4,500 for six months or something like that. And I pitched it to them. They said, yes. And I was like, this is amazing. And then I started to build up the business from that. And that was kind of that cash flow injection, the confidence I need to start you know, charging more for my services. And then I started to bring it up. I brought it down. I brought it up. I brought it down. And I brought it to now a very, very consistent figure so that I know the value that I give is much larger than what they're paying. Because when you start out, it's very easy as a coach to read different things and say, okay, I'm going to charge X, Y, Z. So 
my pricing has gone from like, like I said, God knows how much to, you know, 18, oh God, I'm USD to like $23,000 for the year to like 18,000 to like 15,000 back up to different prices. But the, the challenge that I have with all of that is how do I really give the amount of value that someone is paying times four? Cause that was my big thing. So the challenge there with pricing is to find something that you know, you'll over deliver and the client will be like so happy that they'll carry on. Cause I've had people that have stayed with me literally for years and it's not cause you know, I'm not good at what I do It's because there's so many different facets. Like this guy wanted to lose weight. Then he wanted to turn around the business and prove the relationship with his wife. And I've, I have people like that. I also have people that do six months. They're on they're, they're off. They're great. They come back like two years later for something different. So I made a lot of mistakes, for example, with pricing. I think a big challenge I made was, you know, wasting you know, thousands on, on, on different ads, not having the foundation. I think branding is incredibly important, like having the right brand there. I think that I wasted a lot of time attempting to do a lot of content because you see a lot of people doing content, but unless your content has a call to action, unless you actually know what you're, you're doing, I think there's a challenge there. Uh, the other thing that I think is incredibly important is about understanding how to scale and what kind of business you want to create as a coach. Because for me, I love working with people, but I don't want to spend all my time working with people because I like to enjoy my life. I like to go on holidays, I like to chill out. So it's about figuring out how do you actually build a business that serves you? So whether that, uh, for example, in, in my case where I have trainers that take people through my entrepreneur lifestyle accelerator, or people work one-on-one -on -one with me VIP, or you know, I take on you know, mentees, I, I still do that. So there's, there's different elements there. And I think it's important to figure out for yourself what kind of coaching business you want to build. Is it that high ticket? Is it you know, one to many having like a group program, a mastermind? I always recommend for people to go high ticket to begin with because that gives you the cash flow injections you need to start to invest in different things for your business. But uh, ultimately those would be the, some of the mistakes on the top of my head that I think uh, happened to me on my journey. And that first program for relationship coaching, how many sessions did you do? Did you do like a bi-weekly thing, a weekly thing? Oh, uh, sure. So um, when, I, when, I, when I first did that, I think it was three hours in the month, maybe three sessions. And I, I used to do, I think every, everything from like, two hour sessions to one hour sessions to 30 minutes. And now I've hit my stride. I do it twice a month. I get the same results twice a month. And if I was to do it three times a month, it just depends on what we're working on. And I think that you find your own rhythm as a coach. There is no right or wrong there. It's just figuring out what works best for you. As I've become much more effective, I've needed less time with clients. So I've reduced the time because I know I can get the same result, but it takes a little bit of time to do that. So just find out what works for you to begin with. What advice do you have around pricing and like finding a good price for you? Like, yeah. And any blocks around like charging a price? Cause it's kind of hard to charge a price in your own product to begin with. Cause you don't know what do I charge? Sure. Yeah. So it's incredibly challenging, right? You, you have people in the market charging 5,000, you have people in the market charging 25. So I, I think that there's a few different factors you have to take into account, right? First thing is what do you want to take in on a monthly basis? Right. So figuring out, okay, well, what do you want to take on a monthly basis? And what is the result that you want to be able to create for your clients? Right. And what is that result worth? Right. If I turn a business around, what's that worth? Well, kind of priceless. If I save a marriage, I say that's pretty priceless too. Right. If uh, someone loses weight, I don't know, maybe they'll pay a grand for it. It's a couple of grand. I'm not sure. So figuring out the transformations that you have. And, and this is honestly why I say, taking on mentees to begin with is one of the best things you can do because you can see the results and you can see the impact you're having. And I say to people, take a minimum of three 
and just change their life. Just freaking do it. Because if, if you do that, the confidence you gain is, is amazing. So those would be some factors to take into account. Now, whether or not you charge per hour, per month, I personally have moved away from per hour a long, long time ago. Because someone says to me, oh, Ben, that's like $1,000 an hour. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm, I'm not a cleaner. I'm not going to come into your house and clear up for an hour and then go. This isn't how this works, right? I'm here to get you a result. Time is, isn't of the element, right? If it takes half an hour, if it takes an hour, if it takes an hour and a half, like that's beside the point. We're here to get you a result. That is a whole different level of conversation than here's an hour of my time. Because the truth is you spend time before that hour. You spend time after the hour. You probably spend time in between chatting to them, depending on what you do, right? So for me, I think on a monthly basis, I think having a minimum of like three or six months is important. And ultimately having what you need in place to really you know, create that um, outstanding result. But I seriously do recommend having a mentor or a coach or, or just someone to help guide you just so that you can avoid some of the main mistakes that that you could have made. Like I've had a ton of different coaches. I even hired a business coach at the beginning of this year because I was thinking, I ain't got a clue what's going on this year. I need to hire someone who knows, right? So it's, it's important to constantly up-level yourself to a different level so that you're constantly evolving. And for coaching programs, how long do you think you should keep it? Do you think like three to six months, do you think you should create year-long programs? Do you think it kind of matters what time limit you set on it or... It depends on what you're doing. So yeah, I knew we were chatting to begin with that. I'm curious, like, what do you think you would want to do? Probably somewhere between three to six months. Okay. And what, do you have any idea what you'd want to work with or what result you want to generate for people? Yeah. So I have a couple of different ideas. One is, so I was in a completely different place last year. So I had, I was getting towards zero in my bank account last year. And this year I've saved over 30 grand so far. And so I was like in a completely different place a year later. So something around that, something around definitely beliefs around money or weight loss is kind of interesting to me too. I haven't narrowed down into what exactly I want yet, but something around there. Cool. So when we look yeah. into both of those, I've had experience with both. So uh, let's chat about weight loss. Sometimes when I do weight loss with people, usually I do six months. I think that's sustainable. Um, I have a clients that go on that journey for six months. They love it. I have a, one of my best mates is a vegan coach. Um, he helps them in like bodybuilding and losing weight too. I think he does three months, six months. I think six months is a, is a long enough period of time to actually see a result. So I, I genuinely think six months is good. If they can't, they can do three months at a premium, but I always push people for six months. That's where I see unreal results for people. Now, if we're looking from a finances side of things, once again, it depends on what they're doing. So whether it's uh, getting out of debt, like that, that's a common thing. Like I've had mm -hmm. conversations with people that have saved like 23 grand in one conversation. That's a joke. I, they should have paid me much more for that session. Um, but when, when you look into things like that, that's uh, perhaps it's sustaining habits, it's investing. It depends on what you're doing in money because you've got the debt, you have the money beliefs, you have investing, you have building up a portfolio. Like I have clients that will say, hey Ben, you know, I want to start investing. I'm like, okay, cool, let's have a chat. I'm not a financial advisor. I can say go get one, but I'm happy to share. And I think having that open conversation is nice. And that's where you can kind of build that relationship. So the truth is your pricing will develop. I've done every pricing from pay what you want to hourly to monthly to like based on a result to like just honestly everything. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll share a few different business models um, at the end of this. I've got a PDF. It's, it's like a free one online. I'll, I'll, I'll ping it or we can ping it to um, the, the, the links here so other people listening can have it. But I think that 
you know, just being aware of those business models and then just trying them out is, is basically what works. And you kind of figure out what, what your rhythm is and what works best for you so that you can generate that result. But what I'd say is play around with finance, play around with health, maybe take on a mentee, do a post, see who replies, say, look, we're going to do this for three months. I'll chat to you twice a month when you get a great result, because you will, um, and you have to give a great testimonial. And, and then you start the ball rolling and you get it moving, which I think is really nice. I'd love to go into your TED Talk. What was your TED Talk about? And what advice would you give someone who wants to get into speaking? Okay, so uh, I'm going to break those down into <laughs> the few different questions. There. So I'm actually going to do the TED <laughs> first, and then we'll do the speaking. Okay. All right. So uh, <laughs> I've been coaching, uh, like I said, TED Talks for about six years now. This is the, this is the first year I haven't uh, taught it because I just haven't been out in China this year. Surprise, surprise. So when it comes to doing a TED, there's a few different things you've got to think about. The truth is people won't remember anything you say. They won't, right? They'll remember how you made them feel and they'll remember the different emotions that they experienced and really that lasting impression that you have. So very often TED Talks, when you look at the best ones, they're stories, they're story-based, they're, they're not about constantly reading slides, but they're taking people on a journey. So the first TED Talk that I was meant to do was actually on, uh, uh, it was on productivity. This was years ago. Like I said, I started with productivity and it actually got canceled by the Chinese government a few days before, which is crazy. Uh, and then I had an opportunity to do uh, another TED Talk again last year. So I said, I'm going to do it in Chinese, right? And I know the organizer very well. And she said, Ben, you know, your, your Chinese is okay, but you've got a TED Talk on stage. Like you've never done a talk in Chinese on stage. Like what are you chatting about? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, honestly, it'll be fine. I'll, I'll give it a go. So over a period of like a, a few months, I was pretty overwhelmed to begin with. Like I had no idea. So I wrote it. It was on how to be more fulfilled in life. I really wanted to, to have a TED Talk uh, and do it in Chinese that would really resonate with, with China where they were because I thought that would be incredibly impactful for them. So I wrote it in English, got it translated with my Chinese teacher, took ages because I wanted to make sure it portrayed the right message. And then I, I do it. They say it's too long. I shorten it down. I change things about. And the, the hardest thing is that for me, I learned that entire talk off by heart. So English is a piece of cake. Like this is so much easier because I can go with the flow. It doesn't matter what I say, right? But when you're on stage, on a TED, on a TED stage, and you've learned an entire speech off by heart, that's much more challenging. So I remember doing links of a pool and actually reciting my entire TED talk in my head as I was going along, right? And what's crazy is that I remember doing my TED talk and then I literally had about 15 other talks in the space of three weeks all there. So I had my TED talk to begin with and then I had everything else. It was unreal. But to be able to, to do that was so challenging. And the hardest part is the body language and the emotion to portray. Because I can learn a speech up by heart and I can say it verbatim. But to portray the emotion and to use the right body language to really convey my message was much more challenging. Like that was really difficult. So I remember on stage, like <laughs> you won't even believe this. I'm on stage. I get halfway through my speech. I'm on fire. I'm in the flow. They're laughing. I'm cracking jokes. It's in Chinese. It's wicked. And then I just go blank, right? I've completely forgotten what I'm about to say. And I'm on a TED Talk stage. Like, what do you do? There's hundreds of people in the audience. Here I am as like a trainer and I, I generally go blank. So I look at a member of the audience and I say in Chinese, like, woman zamaban, which is like, so what do we do? And this guy just looks at me, he shrugs his shoulders and he's like, I've got no idea, right? <laughs> he's just shrugs. And it was enough time for me to remember what I was going to say. And I carried on the rest of the speech, thank God. But it just goes to show 
no matter how much training you have, there's always those little hiccups, but it's about how you deal with it. So for me, uh, that was a, a fantastic opportunity. I, I love doing it. There's a recording. I think we can also put in the show notes if you want. It's got subtitles, don't worry. And um, it, it was something a little bit different that uh, I really enjoyed as a challenge and to, to really inspire an audience that I wouldn't get to inspire in their language otherwise. And have you thought about doing a TED Talk in English? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I could. I mean, I, I could do a TED Talk tomorrow in English. Like, I, I, honestly, the amount of talks I've done in English now, I TED Talk in English, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, when that comes, sure. But uh, to, to me, the, the TED Talk in Chinese is, is up there. I'm like, if I can do a TED Talk in Chinese, I could do a TED Talk in English. Like, you can put me on the stage right now and I can nail it. I, it was absolutely fine. But uh, the, the other part to, the, to your question, I believe, was understanding, like, how do you improve your speaking skills? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I've, I've done a lot of different uh, public speaking training. I've worked with a company uh, in China called Star in You, and I, I've been, I did public speaking for them as well as I was building up my coaching business. And um, when, when you look into great public speakers, right, you go on this, oh, what can only be described as this kind of circle of life. What I mean by this, or circle of speaking, let's call it that. So what happens is you've got no idea. You start to look into other speakers, their techniques, you see what they do, and you start to model other people. So you start to copy people because that makes sense, right? So you start to copy them, you start to find out what works, and then you kind of get halfway where you basically copy another person that you think you really admire, that you think is really good. And then if you're very good, you start to go on a downward spiral. What I mean by the downward spiral, what I mean is going on the second half of the circle, whereby you then start to bring in your own authenticity, your own twist. You start to realize how to own it and make it yours. And then that's where you start to have that journey full circle where you become your authentic self again. Because what happens is you're incredibly authentic to begin with, then you learn skills, then it gets a bit awkward, it takes time. And then when you come back, it's like unconscious skills, it's wicked, you know, how to like work the audience. So when, when we look into that journey, some of the most important things are body language, understanding how do you control the stage. It's figuring out that it's not about glazing over to lots of people. Like I've been doing lots of Zoom talks. Like, I have like 100 people on a Zoom call and it's, it's completely different because I can only look at one center, right? When I'm doing a talk, I look at everyone in the eyes. I have mini conversation. And that's really important because people really feel that you're there. The other thing is that you've got to be able to show emotion with what you're doing and to do things differently. For me, if I talk to someone throughout the, you know, for an hour, two hours, I mean, I've run you know, multiple two-day workshops. If you're just talking the whole time, it's challenging. So you want to have different elements and surprises, make it fun, make it different to really engage people so that they really enjoy the experience. And I think that the more that you can do that, the better it is. And you can create a real fantastic experience for an audience, as opposed to just sharing a topic that you think would resonate with them. And I would love to go into your love story. Sure. <laughs> you met your partner. Sure. So my partner and I met when we were in China. Oh, God. So I think this is uh, seven and a half, eight years ago. So we both did this program called Doing Business in China. And it was like a five-week program actually in, in Fudan University. It was pretty cool. So we met there and we you know, connected. I think it was in the last two weeks. We really got together. It was an amazing time. We're like, wow, this girl's amazing. And then we disconnected. She lived in California, where you are. And I went back to the UK. So we stayed in touch for literally a couple of years here and there. I got a girlfriend. She got a boyfriend. Like we went our separate ways. And then we reconnected maybe once back in, in China. It was you know, lovely to see her. And then when I was running my business in Silicon Valley, we 
uh, I dropped her a message because I, I realized she was in LA, she was just, like just next door, really. And I had an opportunity to attend a talk by Tony Robbins. So it was Unleash the Power Within. So I flew down to LA and we ended up reconnecting. So we started to reconnect and I, I stayed with her for a couple of days. And then when I flew back to San Francisco, she actually flew up and saw me. I think it was nine days before I was about to leave. And I said, you know what? This is crazy. Let's just, let's just make it work, right? So we started going out. And we said, we're not, we're going to do a long distance relationship. So I flew down from, I think, Silicon Valley, literally a couple of days before I was going back to the UK, spent a bit of time with her and I didn't see her for three and a half months. Right. And this was the journey of long distance, which we've been on for coming up to five years now. And it was only this year that we ended long distance and that Evelyn moved back here to the UK. But we've done every time from like three and a half months to two months to one month. I've been traveling. Uh, I think the longest I've spent in one place has been probably about one and a half months for the past five years, apart from locked, which is unreal. So I would honestly go from uh, talk in China to LA, chill out for a, a month, go to UK, do talks, go back to China, do a bunch of talks and then go back to LA and then maybe we'd meet in uh, I don't know, Mexico or meet in different places along the way. So it was, uh, it's been an incredible journey, I, like heart wrenching. Like I can't tell you how difficult it is saying goodbye to someone at an airport that you're not going to see for another two months. It's, uh, it's really challenging because it happens so often. So it's so lovely being in one place now. I think it's amazing lockdown. You know, it's tough. I get to be with her like all the time. So for me, that's been a, a real blessing in disguise. And I feel incredibly lucky to have her uh, in my life supporting me. And I, I think we've had an amazing adventure together. And when you first met her, did you already know? Like, did you already know, like, eventually we're going to end up dating? No, I think when I first met her, I was like, if we, if we lived in the same place, I, we would definitely be going out and dating. But the, the challenge of attempting to do that across the world to begin with, I think we needed our space. And then when we reconnected, I thought, you know what, I'm never going to meet a girl like, like this again. I, she's wicked. I need to, you know, let's, let's really, really give this a go. And we haven't looked back. And what advice do you have for someone who's doing a long distance relationship? <laughs> so much. <laughs> I, I, yeah, honestly, the first piece of advice I'd give, if you're in a long distance, go on my YouTube, just type in long distance. There's a ton of different videos on there. You'll find it really cool. But the tips off the top of my head, I think that you've got to keep that engagement going. So for, for us, we spoke almost every day. And I think having a phone call, not just texting is important. Never argue over text. If you're in long distance or not, it just doesn't work. Like you need to have a conversation. I also learned that for me, my other half loves face-to-face time, like actually seeing her face and having that conversation uh, as opposed to just calling her up. And I think that, um, have you heard of the five love languages? Mm-hmm. Cool. So I think knowing the five love languages is important. I think that the five love languages is good, but they're missing one element. And I'll tell you why they're missing an element, right? So I found this out the hard way. So I was in San Diego and I was meeting her, her family for like maybe the third time. And as a British person, right, it is polite to finish everything on your plate because we're British, right? There are starving people in the world. You have to finish everything. Now in America, the plates are twice as big, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know what you guys are doing. It's unreal. So it's already a challenge, right? So <laughs> we go out to restaurants and then I'd order this stuff. I'd finish it because I'm polite. And then they give me more food. So now I'm thinking, okay, they're challenging me. Obviously, this is a challenge, right? Can I eat for her daughter? I don't know what this is. Right, this went on for a month and I genuinely gained about 30 pounds. It was unreal. Like in a month, I really plumped out. And when I was reflecting, it's because you know, Asians, they show love through food. And it's one of the, the primary ways that people experience love. So I know for, for, for my other half, Evelyn, when she's feeling unloved, if I make her food, if I order a takeaway, if I get a raisin food, she feels so loved. 
So I think being very aware of what makes your partner feel loved and whether it's gifts, whether it's time and doing your best to do that in a long distance is actually um, incredibly important. I think a lot of people are in long distance now. So maintaining that, having those little habits, doing date nights, getting dressed up, I think that's important to really maintain that spark that you wouldn't have otherwise. And what's something that really stood out to you about her? Oh, I thought she was utterly ridiculous. And I, I, and I, I know that when we've, when we've had this conversation, she, was, uh, she said to me, I, I was really impressed that when we reconnected, you did what you said you were going to do. Because people don't really do that, right? You said you were going to set up a business. You did. You said you'd write a book. You did. And yeah, that, that's really impressive. And I think that for me, when I look at her, it was yeah, being slightly ridiculous, having fun. And I think that the cool thing is that I knew that she would always support me in whatever I did. And I think that's a really nice combination. So for me, I, I just feel incredibly lucky to have found someone who is there is a, a, such a good supporting role, such a, such a funny person to, to spend time with. And I think that with, with anyone, it's constantly that onion where you're exploring layer by layer. But for, for us, we, we have so much fun. I can't tell you. I think people lack fun nowadays. But to, to have fun, to wake up, to chill out, to have different routines and laugh about it is, is so, so, so important. And is there any like personal development work or rituals you guys do together? Yeah. So I wouldn't say we do personal development as such. Well, the reason why I say that is that I don't think Evelyn's ever read a personal development book in her entire life. Yeah, I still think she sometimes knows more than me. And I've read like, like a ton as an understatement. Like, I, I know most of the sort of main self-development stuff out there. I've gone to hundreds of events. So for me, I think that it's, it's nice to be able to connect. But one of the rituals we have is a love tank where we reflect uh, each week on how loved we felt. So for us, there's a series of questions that we do which is how loved have you felt this week on a scale of one to 10? Why was that? When did you feel most loved? I think this is an amazing question because it really clarifies for you what you're doing that actually really hits home, hits the buzzer, hits the bullseye. And then what can I do next week to make you feel more loved? And I think that the more that you can become aware of that, it's those micro adjustments that you make over time that allow your relationships to really blossom as opposed to something that is maintained. I think that most people have a vision for their business. They don't have a vision for their relationships. So I think being able to constantly upgrade that is incredibly important. And then having hobbies that you do together, I think it's cool. Like we play board games, we play games on our phones. We do all these different things, right? And, and it's so fun. Like we have wine and cheese night. She helps me keep balance. I'd have wheatgrass shots and I'd be doing greens all day, but she'll make me have a dumpling, right? And I think that having that balance is so important because it allows you to experience the best of both sides. And what is something lighting you up right now? Well, well, something lighting me up. I was about to say this light ring mm -hmm. is, is lighting me up at the moment. But <laughs> for me, what is really lighting me up is I'm actually really excited for Thanksgiving. In the UK, we're, we're in lockdown, but I'm really excited just to be able to, to meet some people, have some fun, be able to chill out. I love Christmas. I'm so excited for Christmas. My birthday's on Christmas as well. I'm extra excited for that. And I think that for me at the moment, I'm just really enjoying the times that I get to spend with family and friends because I'm not used to being in one place for such a long time. So being able to really go deep, have those bonds has been an incredibly nice experience for me that I've really, really enjoyed. And what's something that keeps you grounded? Uh, sure. Well, something that keeps me grounded is... Well, for me personally, I think that working out and moving in the day is incredibly important, especially when I used to struggle a lot because I used to take a lot of client calls sitting down. Like now I stand up for pretty much everything because I find it so much easier to portray my energy and to actually 
really give uh, the most uh, out of out of what I have to offer. I feel like my energy is much more aligned. So for me, I think working out, doing daily gratitude, being able to condition my identity. I know we, we spoke briefly uh, about that to begin with, but really thinking about who must I become in the future and thinking about how do I really become that person right now, looking at vision boards, journaling. I really enjoy reading fiction in the evening as well. I think that's quite grounding. So for me, I've got a few different routines that I have. And I think that it's just about finding what works for you and really helps you feel grounded as you move forward. And what is something that most people don't know about you? Hmm. And there's loads of stuff people don't know about me. I I think a a fun one is that I, I taught street dance when I was at university, which I thought was quite fun. So I'm actually an avid street dancer. I enjoy that. Uh, I enjoy gaming. I, I find that really fun. I've got a little brother, so I bought myself a PS4 so I could play with him, bless his heart. I really enjoy, uh, I actually talk, I, I enjoy taking on random challenges, right? Now, I think this is really important because unless we challenge ourselves, it's easy to get comfortable. So whether this is doing the um, Iceman experiment with Wim Hof, I was up in Italy, I did the breathing there, or it's teaching myself the wolf whistle or doing things that push me outside of my comfort zone. I think it's those challenges that really help you move forward. Like at the moment I'm doing, uh, I think 21 days or three weeks of keto. And I think that just being able to constantly challenge yourself and upgrade your skills is, is really, really important. So those are a few things that people probably don't know about me. What's something that you want to leave in 2020? What's something that I want to, what's sorry, leave in 2020? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to leave COVID in 2020. I, I think that'd be nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also think I, I'd, I'd love to leave... Yeah, to be honest, I think COVID's up there. Like for me, I've enjoyed 2020. There's not much that I like to leave behind because I like to take everything with me because I think it's important as a learning experience. And the one thing I would leave, actually, uh, I, I ripped the tendons, like two tendons and damaged another in my ankle in lockdown. So I'd like to leave that injury uh, in 2020 and then I'm just be fine for the rest of my life. That'd be great. <laughs> and if you can go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? So... I really like this question and I've, I've had, I've been asked this in a few different forms and I actually got asked it doing a, a sermon. It was on the join the dots podcast and, and it was a sermon to my younger self. And yeah, when I, when I look into the, the sermon and uh, some of the things that, that, that I shared, I think ultimately the, the main theme there is that we work hard to enjoy life. So make sure you enjoy it. I think it's easy when you're young to put so much pressure on yourself when the truth is you've got time right? It's so easy nowadays to compare yourselves to other people in different stages when the truth is just focus on yourself and don't compare your square zero to someone else's square 10, but just keep working on you. Like if you're in a better position than you were three years ago, you're on the right track. And I think that just being able to have fun and enjoy that journey is the most important thing. Because I see too many people getting stressed out and worrying about all these little things when the truth is, and I've I've had an opportunity to work with people in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And the truth is when you get to those ages, right? It's just like, you just realize how long life is, right? You've got time. And I think that there's too many people worrying about things that don't matter right now, but just take your time and take it one step at a time. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, been a, a lovely to be able to share from all walks of life. I, I don't often share my relationship and other things uh, on podcasts. So I'm glad that we got to do something a little bit different today. Yeah.
Where can people connect with you online? Sure. So they can connect with me on my social media. If you just type in Ben Ivy, so I-V-E-Y, I'm not a plant. Uh, that'll come up uh, on like LinkedIn or Instagram or things like that. Um, or you can go to my website, so that's Ben and then dash and I-V-E-Y.com. And then you can check out all the different stuff uh, I've got going on to see if it's right for you. And then I'm sure we'll put a couple of links in the, in the podcast notes for the, the TED Talk and then some business models for coaches too. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'd love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.